0: one was an emergency. What's going on? Who had the knife? I just woke up yelling. I Drive. I was a female yelling on the phone. Someone else had the knife. Hey! Welcome to this episode. My name is Harmony for those of you who have never tuned in to What the Actual Left. Usually, I'll come here and tell you a story of murder, a mysterious disappearance, a creepy haunting, and from time to time, I'm feeling mighty froggy and I want to talk about conspiracies. However, today is murder. It was November 16th of 2012. A Friday, actually. Suddenly, at 1.15 in the morning, Megan, who was a 13-year-old girl, called 911. Megan told the dispatcher that her sister, 18-year-old Sabrina Zunick, was brutally stabbing her mother. You can hear screaming in the background and you can hear Megan pleading with the dispatcher to please send help because her mother is dying. When police finally arrived at the house in Willoughby Hills, Ohio, they in fact found Sabrina holding a 15-inch knife. She was also covered in blood. Megan's mother, who was only 41 at the time, Lisa, was found dead in the master bedroom. Another thing found in the master bedroom was Lisa's three-year-old daughter hiding in the closet. Now, Lisa's husband, 42-year-old Kevin Knopfell, well, he wasn't home at the time and police had to notify him that his wife had been not just killed but brutally murdered. At the time, he was a truck driver and he was on the road in Michigan. Kevin, since he was gone, actually had to call into 911 and find out about his daughters and where they were. They advised him that they were at the police department and he could go pick them up. Roughly four and a half hours after the death of his wife, he arrived at the police station and picked up his girls. This is the introduction to the case I have for you today. This is an absolutely insane story. This is the extremely... Twisted and Disturbing Case of Sabrina Zunick. It was a slaughterhouse. An unstable foster child snapped. Lisa and Kevin had a three-year-old daughter by the name of Haley. And Lisa also had another daughter, Megan, from her first marriage. Sabrina Zunich, however, was a teenager that Lisa and Kevin had actually fostered. The five all lived together. Lisa was actually a social worker for the Cuyahoga, I hope I said that correctly, County Department of Children and Family Services. She actually worked in the sex abuse department, which I cannot fathom as an adult being like, yeah, I can do that. I understand wanting to help, but oh my god, I couldn't hear the horror stories and see the real-life accounts of what these people have to do. I just couldn't. But Lisa stepped up and made sure that she got children out of horrendous situations and was there for them. The Knofel, I feel so weird saying their name like that because I want to say Nofel but it's Knofel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Knofel family seemed like the perfect fit for Sabrina. Sabrina had become known and described at the time before she went with and lived with the Knofels, as though she needed stability because she was rather unruly. Many people believe she just needed the attention and structure that most children do. This was something that Lisa and Kevin were known to provide for, well, all of their kids. So Sabrina really seemed to have found a good fit for her. Although it was rather more of a disturbing fit, as you're gonna find out. Now Sabrina's parents, Susan Edwards and Mark Zunich, struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. They had actually been arrested multiple times. Sabrina would end up being raised for a short time by her grandmother, and then when she was just 14, she was put into a home for kids. She spent a good amount of time in and out of foster care, until eventually Lisa and Kevin fostered her when she was 16. She ended up settling in really, really well with the family. Sabrina got along with the other two girls, and she ended up getting in school and succeeding. When she turned 18, she was told she could leave foster care, but Sabrina asked if she could still stay with Lisa and Kevin. That way she could, you know, finish out school and because she was, quote, so happy here. So what could lead this 18-year-old girl to stab her foster mother over 100 times? Like, um, it was borderline 200 times. Yeah. Yeah, this is fucked up. The picture-perfect family on the outside, but on the inside, it was completely different. She was right at the age where you're looking for intimate relationships. I was in a very delicate state. I was in love with this man. What I thought was love. Sabrina was arrested at the scene of the crime holding the murder weapon. It was Sabrina in the bedroom with the knife. A 15-inch or 9-inch blade in total because the 15-inch itself is the whole knife. This was a serrated knife, by the way, without a hilt, so it was retrieved at the house. Sabrina never, ever tried to deny that she was in fact the one that stabbed Lisa. She didn't say, oh no, it wasn't me, it was the one-armed man. She was like, nah, I did it, uh-huh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There were some things that kind of were troubling the police about this murder. First and foremost, Lisa was stabbed almost 200 times. That is an extremely vicious, violent, and brutal assault. And remember, Lisa wasn't exactly a shitbag human in any way, shape, or form. In fact, Lisa had taken in Sabrina. Lisa was known as being one of the kindest, most gentle woman that many people had met. Nobody really had anything negative to say about her, at least except for the people behind this. Why would this teenager brutally assault a woman who had done nothing but care for her? The police would spend the next 10 months trying to piece together what seemed as though to be an unfitting puzzle. The investigation would reveal that Sabrina was initially pretty happy in the home. In fact, it seems as though initially everybody was happy, especially having her there. Maybe a little bit too happy because things would change in December of 2011. Sabrina and Lisa actually began to fight. Sabrina also grew rather jealous of the two biological girls in the house, so she argued with Lisa over the belief that she gave her two daughters more attention than she gave Sabrina, which actually wasn't at all the case. Sabrina was just growing jealous because she didn't have that connection with Lisa, she wasn't her biological daughter, although Lisa never played any favoritism amongst any of the girls. A few months after Sabrina was arrested, she told police that she was willing to talk in exchange for a sentence that allowed for the possibility of parole after 30 years, instead of spending the rest of her life in prison without the possibility of parole. According to Sabrina, she had a um, a relationship with Kevin. That's right, her foster father, who she was actually being spanked by and called daddy. <gasps> oh my god. I just threw up. Sabrina told police that this actually started in the spring of 2012, and it was all Kevin's idea to, womp, 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 kill Lisa. Bet you didn't see that coming, did ya? that's what we call a twist. 43 years old and Sabrina's foster father. He's manipulating her, saying they can lead this blissful life together. This fantasy of living happily ever after pushed her over the edge. If you want love, you're going to do anything to get it. Oh, you bet your sweet bottom that Kevin was also arrested and charged with conspiracy to commit aggravated murder and complicity to aggravated murder as well as six counts of sexual battery and that is what we call a hat trick kevin naturally was like yeah no i'm not guilty of any of that you got the wrong man as sabrina was pleading guilty the trial heard before a jury was in relation to kevin's charges only sabrina agreed to testify on behalf of the prosecution against kevin and oh man did she have a story to tell At his trial, it was the prosecution's case that there was no dispute as to who actually stabbed and killed Lisa. Sabrina did, she admitted that, and they had the actual killer. But the prosecution told the jury that their case on Kevin was that he knew what was going to happen that fateful Friday evening. I I guess it's actually morning because it was one something, so sorry. He knew because he helped plan the whole thing. (gasps) What? Oh my god, what a real piece of shit. (laughs) Yes, yes he is. It was the prosecution's case that Kevin wanted his relationship with his wife Lisa to end and he told several of his friends this, by the way. He actually was like, yeah, we're getting a divorce. Things are just, they're just not working out. You see, it was their case that if Lisa died, Kevin would benefit, well, none other than financially due to the couple's insurance policies. Oh god, it's always a fucking motive, I swear. Money, money, money! Mm-mm-mm. The prosecution also told the court that according to many, Lisa had kind of began to change before her death. Lisa appeared to be distracted and she seemed to act as though it was difficult for her to stay focused on things. In fact, a friend of Lisa's by the name of Erica testified in court that the day before Lisa was murdered, she brought some food over to Kevin. She described his demeanor as rather normal. However, she noticed that there was a picture of Sabrina on the refrigerator. And it was just, something was a little odd about it, I guess, according to her, it was just weird. Anyways, they said that at the funeral, Kevin also appeared rather emotionless, but the biggest thing she noted was the months leading up to Lisa's murder, she was just starting to seem more withdrawn and having a very difficult time focusing on anything. Another co-worker of Lisa's actually testified that for the whole year up until November of 2012, she had actually been stepping away from work and her desk to take personal calls because it seemed as though there were some distressful times going on in her personal life. Which was a big red flag to many because Lisa had a happy home life, at least what many had perceived until leading up to her death. The prosecution also outlined Kevin's demeanor after he discovered that Lisa had died. To do so, they called a number of witnesses to testify. Police that had been investigating the scene and the case and detectives all actually went on to describe Kevin's demeanor as being calm yeah i know grief is handled differently by everybody but if i was in love with somebody and they had been brutally murdered and attacked in my home in the room i shared with them i cannot express probably wholeheartedly how i would feel but i damn sure wouldn't be calm many people in their notes of relation with kevin in any demeanor was almost described as calm in every way shape and form even relatively calm. It was actually so distressing, distressing, distressing to the police officers and detectives how calm he was that in almost every single note of interaction with him that was stated and it was just really bizarre. But was he calm because he was expecting it or was there another reason like the one he gave police? I was convinced that I was gonna lose everything that I've ever dreamed of. this didn't happen this story is not as simple as a young woman snapping and killing someone and i can't undo what's already been done that was selfish and i'm sorry the situation is a perfect storm textbook predator move he said you could stab her Police were kind of like, what the hell, Kevin? Why are you so calm? And Kevin's like, oh, (laughs) I've seen this stuff before. It's totally fine. He was actually very curious about every single detail that the police had figured out had happened. He was asking them, so what do you think happened? Like, do you know anything? I'm really curious about this. Detective Brian Jackson of Willoughby Hill's police department testified that when he met Kevin at his house the day after Lisa had been killed, Kevin wanted to enter the house and Detective Jackson urged him not to as the scene had not really been cleaned up yet and he was worried that, you know, him walking into where his wife had just been brutally murdered may be rather disturbing for Kevin. Because, well, it would be for almost anybody. However, he said that when he told Kevin this, Kevin was just like, Okay, I don't, so? In fact, Kevin looked at Detective Jans- What the fuck words? I'm so sorry. Detective Jackson and was like, yeah, I just want to see for myself. Okay, thanks. The prosecution also called a number of people to testify in relation to the insurance money. You know, that sweet, sweet dinero. The court heard that Kevin collected the insurance money right after Lisa's death. Like, he didn't even wait for the body to get cold. He was like, give it to me. I want it, that's mine. That's my money and I want it now. Call JG Whitworth, 877 cash now. They are not a sponsor. It is just a horrific song stuck in my head for like the last 15 years. Now, the court heard the very same morning that Lisa was murdered, Kevin called Lisa's workplace inquiring as to uh, what the paperwork would be that was necessary to make the claim on Lisa's life insurance policy with the union. He literally wasted no time. He's like, listen, my wife's body is literally sitting in the morgue right now. She is dead. I would love to know how to speed this process along so I can get some of that money, thank you. I don't even know if they had toe-tagged her yet and he's out here trying to collect. Here's another thing. There was a person who testified that on November 16th, the literal day that Lisa had been brutally murdered, Kevin called and asked them about the insurance claim. The actual day that his wife had been killed, he was like, I really can only think about money right now. So what do we do to speed this process up? Really not looking good for Kevin. The prosecution also told the court that there were a number of other insurance claims made by Kevin on the 16th of November. One was a $250,000 life policy insuring Lisa. The issuing date of that policy was May 16th of 2012. There's even more I'm going to share with you about this money uh, aspect of motive. Christopher Eady, who is a team leader for Guardian Life Insurance Company, He testified that Guardian Life provides insurance for Cuyahoga children. Is that Cuyahoga? I'm, I really don't know how to say that, but, uh, Cuyahoga Children and Family Services. And they issued a check to Kevin for $249,542.34. Kevin was also paid $150,286.50 on a term life insurance policy in a 2009 uh, form, like or sorry, not a form, a 2009 issuing date. So like that one's a little older. But he also got that. All in all, the courts proved that there was around $800,000 in life insurance policies on Lisa, and that is about the estimated sum of what Kevin collected. The prosecution ended up calling Sabrina to testify. and Sabrina did share that the relationship she had with Kevin began in the spring of 2012, which is actually right along the time frame of when all of these major policies started to go into effect when Kevin was you know getting them all signed up, and uh, when things between Lisa and Sabrina really started to sour. In case you are unaware, this is seriously predatory behavior. You see, older adults, oftentimes it is men, trying to take advantage of younger females, although females do it often too. A predatory behavior is when you are grooming or manipulating a child, someone who their mind isn't really fully formed and they don't really understand certain things. For Sabrina, she really wanted love and Kevin was giving her that. Rather inappropriately, but this young 18-year-old who was very vulnerable saw true love and wanted that forever in a 40-something-year-old man who was manipulating the situation, also, Sabrina would murder his wife and he can collect all that money and probably drop Sabrina and move on. Horrible, horrible, predatory behavior. And in this case, it ended Lisa's life. I'm Sabrina Ann Zunich. I chose to do this interview because I wanted my side of the story to be told in depth. This is eight years after the initial um, incident, and I believe I have a different perspective now. I'm not a monster. I'm an individual who made a mistake that affected a lot of lives. Sabrina told the court that Kevin would usually drive her to school. She was attending Willoughby South High School, and on the way there, they would pull off the side of the road so that they could canoodle. You know, do the devil's tango, knock boots. They was fucking. She said that Kevin told her he couldn't divorce Lisa though, as he didn't want to end up sharing custody of his family because that just sucks yeah you know your kids don't need to have both their parents that's horrible why not just brutally murder one so that you don't have to share custody that sounds even better i fucking hate people sabrina also told the court that the idea to kill lisa began as a small one kind of like a little bit of a joke Kevin would send her a text every now and again stating that he hated Lisa. He told her that when Lisa was out of the way, they could buy their own house and they could live together and then Sabrina could attend college and guess what else she could be? The mother to his children. Yeah, he was manipulating the fuck out of this teenager. The court also heard that Sabrina asked her friend Autumn in early October if she knew anyone that could kill her foster mother for her. Autumn testified, quote, She asked me if I was able to get her a hitman. She said that they were going to get a divorce and she was worth more dead than she was alive. But Sabrina decided to take matters into her own hands. You know what they say, if you want something done right, you just gotta do it yourself. Sabrina testified that on the 15th of November in 2012, so the day before the brutal murder, Kevin drove her to school, but when they parked the car, he began to cry instead of, you know, like touching her and being all like, Len's noodles. He was like, oh my God, I can't, I just can't right now. And Sabrina's like, oh no, baby, what's wrong? What can I do? Don't cry. Kevin's blubbering how Lisa is just so fucking horrible. Sabrina testified that Kevin told her that he and Lisa had a terrible fight the night before. In fact, it was so bad that he wanted to commit suicide. He said, I'm gonna kill myself if Lisa isn't dead soon. I can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. And of course, this 18-year-old is madly in love with this 42-year-old man is just like no you can't do that you can't take your life what can i do for you and then kevin drops the bombshell sabrina testified quote i was scared for him because i'd fallen in love with him so she knew what she had to do she had to kill lisa and within 24 hours lisa would be dead 911. What is your emergency? my mom was a knife. I can't breathe here. I can't breathe here. I You need to take a deep breath for me so I can understand you. Who has a knife? My sister. She's going to kill my mom. You could hear on the 911 call where she's screaming. I've been doing this about 20 years. It is by far the worst 911 call I have heard. The prosecution called Dr. Joseph Andrew Fellow. He's a forensic pathologist with the Cuyahoga County Medical Examiner's Office, and he was called to testify about the horrific injuries that Lisa had received. Dr. Fellow was the one who supervised Lisa's autopsy, so he was well aware of her injuries. He testified that there was a lethal injury on Lisa's mandible area. This is her jaw. This injury penetrated deep enough to sever the carotid artery, which leads right to the brain. There was also another lethal wound in her breast. The wound was so deep that it penetrated to the lung and collapsed it from underneath. The doctor also testified to a number of cuts on Lisa's body that would be described as complex cuts. These indicated where and when the knife entered the body. It was either then twisted inside of the body or twisted as it was being removed, causing more injury. One of Lisa's fingers and one of her thumbs had almost been completely severed. The doctor would go on to testify at the amount of defensive wounds that were on lisa's body lisa fought so hard against sabrina the doctor went on to testify how many stab wounds he had counted which was 178 in total these ranged across the board on all of the stab wounds the injuries and the marks but it was mainly the, the, the stuff from the knife it was 178 times that the knife had came in contact severed or entered her body In fact, the assault had been so violent that the knife itself had actually bent. It was the defense's case that Kevin was not guilty and Sabrina was the only one responsible for Lisa's death. After all, Kevin was gone, duh. They highlighted that nothing physical was found to prove that Kevin and Sabrina had even been in any sort of sexual relationship. The only thing the prosecution had was Sabrina's testimony. The defense also argued that Sabrina couldn't be trusted as she had cut a deal in order to get a shorter sentence. According to the defense, it was their case that Sabrina had actually killed Lisa because just two weeks before her death, Lisa had told Sabrina that she wanted her to move out by January 1st of 2013. This was not ever really validified. And also, you probably would be shocked to learn that Kevin did not testify. The court heard that officials were unable to retrieve any text messages or phone calls between Sabrina's phone and Kevin's phone. However, there were records that showed that there were 1,491 texts or calls between the two cell phones. And this was all just in between November 1st to November 16th. There were 78 calls or text messages from 7.12pm on November 15th to 12.48am November 16th. In case you're not mathing really well, that was roughly up until about a half hour before Lisa was brutally murdered so maybe they couldn't find what the messages had stated and there was no actual like clips of the phone calls but they were definitely talking there was definitely something going on they were definitely close and for some reason i can't stop saying the word definitely the jury deliberated for almost 10 hours and they would find kevin guilty on all 11 counts six counts of sexual six counts of sexual battery and three counts of complicity to commit aggravated murder and two counts of conspiracy to commit aggravated murder. Kevin was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years. And as I mentioned, Sabrina pled guilty to aggravated murder and was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole in 30 years as well. And that is the twisted and disturbing case of Sabrina Zunich. What was his relationship to you? It was when a foster father when needed to be and when a lover, when, when not being a foster father. Zunich told the jury that after Kevin Knaepel seduced her and began a sexual relationship with her, he convinced her to kill his wife so that he could collect $785,000 in insurance policies he had on Lisa Knaefel's life. Can you describe for us or give us an idea of exactly the statements that Mr. Knaefel made to you about his wife being gone? Um, she would be worth more dead than alive. Well, there you have it. Another disturbing story from around our world. I know I don't exactly leave you feeling all warm and fuzzy, but I am here to remind you that the world isn't always as beautiful as you'd like to believe. Sometimes the person right next to you, the one that you love so much and you just would do anything for, is absolutely plotting your certain death. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and I can't wait to meet you here again next week with another one. As always, if you'd like, you can send me a message at the actual E-F-F-Harmony at gmail.com otherwise you can check out the rest of the episodes i have here you can also find me on social media on instagram at oh hey it's harmony and send me a message there if you'd like otherwise i will talk to you on the next episode of what the actual F. with that stay safe love you later bye